This is The Beige and the Bold, and today we are watching Descent, Part 2. I'm Ben Belding, and I watched this episode when it originally aired. And I'm Grim, and I watched this episode sometime shortly after it aired. You ready? Yep. In 3, 2, 1, engage. This is our last, I think it might be our last, Major Roddenberry last time on Star Trek The Next Generation. That is epic in its own right. Yeah. I mean, because it's the end. Season 7 is the last season. That's um, the kind of stuff I forget to say sometimes. That's great that she's actually managed to archive her voice, though, for future generations and future use with this. You know, she'll always be the voice of Trek, hopefully. I mean, maybe. I don't don't watch enough Discovery to know. Um, I guess if there's any reason to watch Picard Season 2... Uh, it's to see if they tell us what happened last season on Star Trek, Picard, in Major Roddenberry's voice. Indeed. I feel, I feel like they won't. Yeah, they probably won't. I feel like that's not enough reason to watch Picard season two. Yeah, so. I, I might even watch Picard season one, so. Well, I don't know. I, I did a Twitter poll on whether or not I should do Picard season two like I did Picard season one, and the consensus was that I should suffer. So, <laughs> that's probably going to happen. No, I'm sorry. I promise that my season two of Star Trek Picard, Papa Picard, Captain of the Subscription Service Enterprise, will be better than season one just for pure audio quality. I make no guarantees about Picard itself. John Delancey's going to be in it. I heard that, that Q's coming yeah. back, and I'm like really looking forward to that. Like I want to see more of Q, and that might be a thing that I'm actually invested enough to go and subscribe you, you don't have to subscribe. Yeah, We're not going to do anything illegal, but I have a feeling that somehow, it's a podcast, you can't see me winking, you'll find a username and password that'll let you watch it without paying money. Yeah. It's going to come up somehow, Grim. It'll just fall up on the ground. Yeah, it'll be on the ground somewhere. It'll be like found cake, but with access to Paramount+. Plus. It's a found cake. It's delicious. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah, we're in the episode, though. So, uh... We learned that Lore is portioning out emotions to Data. And uh, that is a padded fucking suit. Yeah, it's pretty epic. Like, you have to differentiate Lore from Data somehow. So we're going to go with robot armor muscles. (laughs) I just, I mean, they're going to keep Data in his uniform, of course. Um, It's like, Lore, you don't even have to bench something. Just, like, go on Amazon... Google Android Muscles, go past all of the, the the sponsored entries, and then just order yourself some Android Muscles online and install them. Like, I'm sorry, like this abdominals. scene. What? This, this scene right here where, like, Data is talking to Picard, like, there's so much just Brent Spiner finally unleashed, you know, acting with <laughs> emotion, and it's just, it's great to see it. You know, like, it's one of those things that just contrasts and foils so well against how he does data. Yeah. He's doing two different characters in the scene. Is they're doing a good job of not doing like split screen or not jumping through hoops to show us, oh, it's definitely they're doing the no, they're just using close up shots and it's working fine. Yeah. I will say this though, that that padded suit does make him feel slightly more intimidating. You know, it's like you're looking yeah. at data and it does it's like that that's not how he's supposed to be. He's more aggressive. Yeah, Data is, uh, he's a middle-aged dude, that's for sure. So, all due respect to Brent Spiner. Um, 
But Lore's padding, yeah. He looks more more arch. So. And they're both smart. I like the the there's a great episode of Deep Space Nine, I think it's called Rocks and Shoals, where Cisco does this same divide and conquer strategy. Um and it also fails then, but you always have to appreciate the the attempt at it. Indeed. And Data and Laura are a little too smart to fall for that uh, Bush League move. So we're getting the exposition here. Like, the deal is that the Borg were useless after Picard sent back Hugh with a sense of individuality. They found a Borg, they made an individual, they sent it back to the Collective, and then all the Borg became individuals. And then, as bad luck for the galaxy would have it, they found Lore. <laughs> and they aspire to the perfection of lore. Fully artificial. Yeah. Literally quotes from the series. Like this is this is interesting to see this play out this way. I mean they, they <clears throat> I, I get it. Like, you know, like they, they're basically trying to go back to being one hive mind. You know, one consistent thought process. Because yeah. they're all the same. And it's it's interesting to see that humanity in the Borg. You know, I mean, they're trying to go back to what it was before because it was easier then. Now it's hard. They're trying to make the collective great again. But <laughs> Man, um, I need like, that hat. But that that's the thing is that, you know, they the unity was a lot easier and they can't do that again for reasons. But Lore has given them a different type of unthinking unity under him. Exactly. And they want to live by that. And it's hard. I mean, oh, a lot such good. A, a lot of canon disregards this episode. Um, my view is that as of season seven, episode one, the Boar Collective as a whole is done. Picard sent back Hugh. Hugh sent individuality through the entire collective, and the collective is just gone. Picard made the right choice in sending Hugh back without being a bioweapon. And. Congratulations, we won. And that's retconned in Star Trek First Contact. But that's my take here. And it's a really interesting new thing to do with the Borg. I honestly don't remember what happens in First Contact. Um, do they address it at all? Is that one of those things no. where they're like, they don't? They just, oh, the Borg are back? So the deal is, is that in Voyager, they find scattered Borg, okay? Right. Um, until First Contact comes out, where the Borg are attacking Earth again with one cube. They go to the Borg, they, they blow up the Borg cube. Oh, look, there's a queen inside. The fucking anomalous ego mass of the Borg apparently have a single unitary leader. Okay. And she has the hots for Jean-Luc Picard because fuck us. And then they go back in time, which I guess they could have done the entire time, but decided not to. I don't like First Contact, guys. I know it's like the most popular TNG movie because it's dark and shit, but fuck it. Um, and the, the, the entire Borg collective is back now. As of First Contact, the entire Borg collective is back. And they're just like they were before. You nerds love this shit, right? Having a cure class. And I, I don't mean to go on a rant here. But <laughs> but then after that, Voyager's like, oh, cool. The, the Borg Collective is back. And they have Borg Collective stories. So. Yeah, lots of Borg stories. And they were so good, Grim. Um, so it's like. <sighs> worth it? <laughs> so it's like, worth it? <laughs> fucking nerds. So anyway. I'm sorry. Fight me, nerds. And I just, I, I feel like this is a great way to end the Borg and write them off forever. And just look at Voyager and go, you made the Vidians. You can make a new stuff that's cool. 
like keep doing that. Don't just recycle everything from TNG, but make it the same. No, Sorry. the episode Sorry. is now introducing us to those two ensigns we talked about earlier, or at least the first one, Tate, who's yeah. Yeah. the science officer who's been posted to the ship six weeks ago. Yeah, she's new. And it's like, she's not too sure. She's new to this whole Starfleet thing. She's she's Sierra Hotel. She knows what she's doing. She, she was assigned to the Enterprise, but this is all a new situation. But she she's can also, do it. She's also a science officer acting as a tactical officer, which is a thing. <laughs> you know, like, that's a yeah. that's a huge, like, gap cross there. It is. Um, but, you know, in, in naval ships, you have to have quals that make you generally aware of the ship's operations. Now, can you do any role? It, probably not. But yeah. um, you have to have, like, a general level of competence. And I'm sure for Starfleet, like, the same the same restrictions apply. Um. And so I think it's just a great look at Starfleet and how great Starfleet guys are. The little the little subplot that we get with Dr. Crusher's uh, story thread here. Yeah, absolutely. It, it continues to flesh out the world. You know, like, it's one of the things that Star Trek always really did a good job of was, like, making me feel like there was an actual world behind things and how things worked. Yeah. Yeah, I go with that. It's... You realize these, these are dedicated people who have multiple disciplines and who dedicate themselves to art and science instead of watching television for 20 hours a week or YouTube. You know, I'm just going to call myself out there or YouTube and, <laughs> and they make themselves better people and they're capable of it. Um, yeah. And Dr. Crusher is getting to make command decisions here. I don't want to gloss over that either. Um, she's making good decisions too. Like she knows what the hell she's doing. Like it, it comes through very clearly that she's a member of the senior um, command structure on the Enterprise, who's seen a lot of crap by this season. Yeah, and she makes the hard calls, and she makes ch- she takes chances. Um, and sometimes they pay off, and sometimes they don't. Um, and I think one of her her characteristics as a commander is that she's trying to save as many lives as possible. Um. They leave 47 people behind, which is 47 is a number that comes up a lot in Star Trek. It's like the it's like the 69 of Star Trek. Actually, you know, as long as Will Riker's on screen, 69 is the 69 of Star Trek. But the rest of the time, 47 is the Star Trek number. So, you know, like I, I don't remember many episodes about these two working together. We have both Riker and Worf on screen, but like. I could see that being some really solid and interesting episodes right there. Like having those two like, oh, we've got to survive here. I'm Riker. I'm rugged and I'm Worf. I'm going to kill everything <laughs> and eat it. So, you know, that would be an interesting like buddy episode. Yeah. They're, I don't think they have too many episodes together. In a lot of ways, they're redundant with each other. They're both very masculine. Yeah, they are. Uh, they are good friends. We established that. They have a rapport. I think the best episode with the two of them together is the one where Picard, not Picard, a barrel falls on Worf and Worf loses the use of his legs and he wants Riker to kill him because he's a Cleon. And Riker has to wrestle with that. Hmm? I don't remember that episode, but that's the thing I'm going to have to watch. Uh, It's a a good one. I want to say it's season five or six. Uh, I want to say it's called Extreme Measures. But like, it's good. And it's about those two guys having a relationship. The the next one I would recommend is probably um, The Outcast, which is the one where Riker falls in love with a trans woman and 
He's like, I'm going to go and save her from the trans re-education camp. And Worf is like, I'm down to clown. I brought my stuff. <laughs> uh, and it's like two scenes. Two scenes with the two of them, but it's great. Um, there are so many good pairings. And one of our best pairings of this series is Data and Jordy. Yep. And we're seeing that now. Like this interaction between the two of them. And also, you know, we have this little moment where Picard, I think, is realizing that things are being... Are, not, are more than they seem, that he's understanding that Data has been influenced in a way because of the way he's asking those questions. Yeah. And we're... there. There's a lot of TNG episodes are mystery episodes. And the mystery of this is why is Data being such an asshole? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Here comes Ensign number two. I, I think he's technically a lieutenant, but, like, we don't know. He's a rando. He's a ship rando. Barnaby. Oof, that's what yep. I don't remember. Lieutenant, he's got two dots. Oh man, you gotta carry the name Barnaby around. It'd be a little brusque. So, but it's, and immediately Doctor Crusher extends confidence to Tate, where she's like, "You did good back there, kid. Stay on the bridge. This is where the action happens." Tate accepts it, and like she loves the fact that she was recognized that she did well, and now she's going to go things into her element. You know, like that's that's one yeah. of the things that's really cool too. Yeah, I just um. Again, I, I don't know the names of these of these supporting actors. I probably should. I apologize. Uh, my week's been cray. But, <laughs> um, and Dr. Crusher's like, hey, you know what? Dr. Crusher would have used the shuttlecraft. Like, so many of these episodes would be resolved if people remember they had the shuttlecraft. Dr. Crusher's like, yeah, we got buoys. I've seen some Star Trek. Just send a buoy. And, uh, and so she does it. She goes back to save people. And she also has seen a lot of uh, Star Trek because she's completely disobeying the captain's orders and turning the <laughs> ship around and going back to save more people. So, yeah, she's seen a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> I, I, I think that that's kind of a broad characterization of the series, but, like, I can't deny it when it's happening right in front of us, no. <laughs> and for a good reason. And she comes up with, I think, a pretty good, uh, a pretty good reason, a pretty good way to get around that. And this is Tate being like Barnaby. You have to be careful if your accurate if your calculations off by a little bit, we'll all get killed by the Borg or something. We'll get burnt up in the atmosphere. Burnt up in the atmosphere. And he's all like, "Shut up, I got this." Yeah, I I like this better when this episode did it and not Star Wars Episode Seven. Like, yeah, just fly the Millennium Falcon in the atmosphere. Fuck you. Do math. I demand math being done. Yeah. So. So, like, I'm interested to see, like, they're, they're calculating the thermal pattern of somebody having been there earlier that day. And I'm like, are they not on a planet that gets regular solar radiation with winds? Like, I, I'm fairly sure that, that that heat would have dissipated by now. Some bullshit, yeah. Clearly. <laughs> like, Worf is a Cleon warrior. He can track shit. I demand he put dirt onto his tongue and be like, they went this way. This is Picard's leather. I just... Yeah. He, he, there are targ hunting. He goes targ hunting with Martok later. Um, like, he, let him be a Cleon, guys. Let him do tracking stuff. I mean, that's part of your friggin' Klingon ascension to adulthood thing, isn't it? They have to go out and they have to kill a targ themselves. Do they? I don't remember. I think there is. It's... That, that it's like seen one of the rituals. I, I don't remember a lot of the stuff because I haven't, like, you know, been a fanboy of the Klingon stuff in quite some time. Yeah, but it sounds about right. I'm not saying it doesn't sound right. 
I'm just saying I don't specifically remember that, but it sounds like a Cleon thing, yeah. And here we have one of the Borg willingly disconnecting himself from another member of the Borg after Lors told him to stay linked. Yeah, because he wants to have private thoughts and shit. And we can see very much this lost person and how Lore runs his Borg cult. <laughs> uh, sorry. Lore has the cult of Borg. That's so insane, but it works. It is. I recognize that guy. God, I don't remember what his name is. Brent Spiner? No, I'm just fucking with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, he does look kind of familiar. I can't... Um, it's going to bother me. I have to see what this dude's name is and yeah. look him up. Now I get you. Nail it. Um, but like, I just see just this one little scene where we understand how this society works. This dysfunctional, ego-driven little society. I need you. I need you to help me build a better future for the Borg. Um, and I think he plays it a little broad here. I think I don't think Brent Spiner... When Brent Spiner's data, he's so great because it's all so subdued. Everything else I've seen Brent Spiner do is like at a 10 or 11. Um, he, he lays his own thing, but I think it works. All right, so apparently he is Michael Riley Burke, and he's a, he's a regular on Star Trek in a couple different roles. He plays a, um, he plays a couple different things. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, good, good eye. You know what? You're in charge now. You're the host and the co-host. Oh, hell no. I quit. <laughs> you can have that laurel back, sir. Yeah, let me give you your scheduling and your editing cue. Trust me, you I, don't have to follow it that closely, as regular listeners can <laughs> attest. You can just kind of, once or twice a month. Um, so the deal is that Jordy's visor, great use of Jordy's visor, lets him see the the control that Lore is exerting over Data. Yep. And that's the real reason Lore wanted the visor. He just went over the fact that, oh, he just wanted it because he think it would look cool. No, because Jordy... Knows what's going on because Jordy's an excellent engineer. Yeah. Lore is such an exceptional uh, bastard bad guy. I don't know if he ever rises to the level of bastard, but he's such an archetypical... I Every time I see Tom Hiddleston play Lore, play Loki, I think about Lore. I agree. Like That is a definite correlation I can see. I was literally watching yeah. the first uh, Thor movie earlier today well, we're, we're trying to make our way through the Thor, yeah. the, the marvel universe again and i'm like you make that correlation and yeah that's spot on yeah it just feels right it's not even like an evil twin thing it's just um he plays it with so much zeal yeah um also wharf you're a cleon hunter how do you get ambushed how do you get ambushed by borg i'm sorry are yeah. there giant black tube trees just off camera they were hiding in there must have been he couldn't have smelled the oil or the servos or anything at all. Was it just like, uh, was Pleasantville like next door to this place? So you're like, ah, oh, that's all just black and white. Oh crap, those were Borg. I don't know. <laughs> there we have Hugh. Ambushed by Borg. Welcome back, Hugh. Uh, Jonathan Delarco, I think, plays Q. Uh, Hugh. He does a great job. Um... And I think he, he's, I love this, right? Because Picard made the choice that liberated Hugh. And there were some, ba there were some downsides to that choice. Um, and he was rightfully pissed at the crew of the Enterprise for that decision. 
Um, I really love like you know like you see some of these these Borg that are like kind of expressing emotions, but mm-hmm. like you have Hugh here who was like full on like human range. Like he's angry, he's confused, he's he has clearly had more experience with those emotions and accepts them more readily than the rest of the Borg. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's that's an important sell, you know. Like I mean, it's just it's it makes it that much more real. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. no. I I'm just agreeing with you. Um. You could have you could have changed you could have changed uh, Hugh's makeup here and like downplayed the Borg elements, um, but yeah, they really did. I think it's fine. But like he's he's his own character at this point. Doesn't he show up later in the chronolo- chronology of Star Trek? <sighs> I just ran out of vodka, so he is in Star Trek Picard. Yes. Okay, we can stop uh, it there. Don't need to hear anymore. Honestly. Honestly, one of the best moments of Star Trek Picard is he sees Captain Picard and he's really happy to see Picard. And I believe they hug and shit. And it is like a breath of fresh air when that happens. Uh, It's one of the best parts of the series. So, um, and some body horror where we learn the downside of what what lore is giving us. It's like some Cenobite level shit going on here too. Yeah. Um... Where he's using the Borg to experiment on and just discarding them whenever he's done. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. That that God, this guy is great as an actor. Like his whole delivery in the line about you know, tell me about my friend, like friend Jordy. Like yeah, the, the, he's he's really solid. Like this is a very good role for him, and he does he nails it like every single way. Well, like you said, he comes ba- he comes so far from the time we last saw him when he's like this confused kid where he's like what is friend what is a name i am hugh and then like he comes so far from that but when he asks where is my friend uh like he goes right back to that episode yeah and we're there again and we come back here and it's like oh he still has this emotional connection to geordie and geordie's the one who's in trouble just a well-constructed episode Um, yeah i agree where Jordy Picard and Deanna are the perfect captives for this. Um, and having Data experiment on... Oh, God. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> yeah. Data's simulating Picard's voice to Jordy, who is blind. So Jordy thinks they're getting out of there. And without an ethical program, Data thinks this is high comedy. That's so cruel. I mean, like, you get Jordy like, all excited, and then it's like, even even Data is all like, huh, haha, spiteful meanness. I love it. Just, <laughs> I mean, it's a good joke as far as evil jokes go. Like, props. Yes. But, um, like, it's structurally sound, Data. Congratulations. <laughs> and then he's like, well, time to put the little noodles in your brain that are make, gonna make you not smart no more. Because I guess they're are they are they training a neural net on Jordy's thinking patterns? That's what it seems like they're doing, and like that's kind of what they go into. Yeah. Like, damn son, you perfectly bridged the TNG techno babble in modern day uh, technology. Not nineteen nineties, but yeah. I remember when I watched this episode the first time. Like that thing in Jordy's head, like made me feel so uncomfortable. Like, because he has later, they, later in the episode, they add like two more and it's like, oh, like, oh, there we go. 
and it genuinely disturbed me. It's some body horror, man. Which is kind of what the Borg are good at. And to make the Borg body horror fresh is is quite an accomplishment on its own. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, the subdued Borg elements here of this place. And yet it looks different. And then the Bush League prison break elements right <laughs> yeah this is one of this isn't the preface to the breaking out of alien prisons manual in starfleet um but the borg fall for it because they have no reference and they're like if you don't do this thing your spears are gonna be mad at you you're new to this new hierarchical organization so prepare to fall for it buddy here we go yeah and we're all misdirected. We're misdirected to think this is an honest prison break when in actuality we're playing something else. There's two levels here. Yep. That's one of the things that make Captain Picard so great at being fucking Captain Picard. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's good. Um, and it kind of plays on Picard's knowledge of the Borg. He knew exactly which tube to pull. He knew how to pull the weapon off. Um, Borg weapons shouldn't, you know off like that but whatever whatever um i think like so much is happening here and yet oop, there we go picard's still a transceiver to do their real plan so the prison break was just a cover there's not a lot of action in this in this episode there's really not and it, that's one of the things that's really great is you know it, it enables it's able to keep your attention the whole time even without that like yeah. You know, because yeah. our our characters are thinking through problems and dealing with emotional stuff and just trying to get information. And uh, I guess you know, Crusher she she fired at that Borg ship. It did nothing. Um, but you know, like that, that was like at least some action scenes. So, um, but like mostly this is about you know negotiating and brain stuff. That's one of the things that I always liked about Star Trek, you know, like, as a younger kid, like, it it was always about conflict, but these guys managed to use their brains to figure shit out, and, like, it really, it really kind of started to, you know, in many cases, just like many other people, it helped me change how I thought about things and how I approached problems. You know, yeah. like, being inundated with this a lot when I was very young and impressionable, I think, has, has led to a very big thing for me in my life, you know, trying to live by these these future concepts that are expressed in Star Trek so often. Yeah. These guys would rather avoid conflict and solve the underlying causes of aggression rather than win with aggression, which they frequently can. Exactly. You address the root cause. Yeah. And even in cases where they can't, like, like with this conflict with the Borg ship, um, the fact that they do care about science and technology and, you know, humanity is what allows them to, to solve this problem here. Um, I think we've got everybody but our main characters off the planet now, right? Yep, that's what it looks like. Yeah. And Dr. Crusher waits a half a second too long. Um, but, you know, she, she rolled the dice. And when you roll the dice as a commander, that means sometimes you lose. It's not really a reflection on you. You just took chances. I really like how she doesn't beat herself up over this either. Like, she just... No. She goes into it and she's like, well, that's the, this is the situation we got. So... You know, yeah. we're dealing with it. And they come up with a creative solution. Or Tati does, at least. Tate, sorry. Tate, yeah. And that's... And, uh, 
because this calls back to an earlier episode with the metaphasic shielding where Dr. Crusher has to solve a murder mystery uh, that centers around shielding, which works around a star. Um, she can be like, oh, hey, because we like science so much, even to the point where we would host a Ferengi scientist, um, we can now outmaneuver these people because we care about science. And I'm, I made a lot of fun in that episode where I'm like, oh, the sponge guy is going to steal the metaphasic shielding as a weapon and then fucking they use it. So I feel like an ass. But <laughs> um, like that's what happens because the science gives them these additional options. Indeed. Um, All right, here we go. Here we go for that callback. Yeah. And I just like it's you can have all these standalone episodes. And I know I know if you watched uh, series one, two or three of Doctor Who with Eccleston and Tennant, um, like, you know this, but you can have great standalone episodes that still manage to build up to a climax without having like one story that drags over an entire season. And th- that's yeah. what they're doing here. They're having so many callbacks to earlier episodes that pay off here. You don't need to watch those episodes. You can watch this episode cold and kind of get what's going on. Like, you weren't confused at any of this, were you? No, not at all. Like, it makes perfect yeah. sense. Like, they're talking about the exact stuff that they went through. You know, like, it, it's great because they're referencing the the world that they've already built, which is important for world building. Yeah. Um, And now they have a tactical advantage. A limited tactical advantage. Um, And the fact that everybody in Starfleet's a fucking nerd is going to pay off here. And they're going to sit here now. Now, now their tactical advantage is time. What can they do with that time? <laughs> yeah, and going back to everybody in Star Trek being nerds, Picard is uh, making his Cadian pulse. He's making Jordy's Cadian pulse. What's really great about this too is that they use the actual natural power source they have directly in front of them. Oh yeah, this thing that we've seen shock people how many times and neutralize yeah. <laughs> people, and they're just they're going to use that exact thing. Again, like you're talking about referencing previous episodes, we know yeah, that it yeah. does electrical things. Now it does electrical things when we want them to. It is great. Um, it's a great little use of the force field that we've just never seen before. Um, it's, it feels like a really good capstone episode. Like There are so many part twos that don't live up to the promise of part one. Um and this this part two totally lives up to part one. I think it surpasses it. It's a great it's a great finisher. I, I agree. Like you know, like I said, is it my my entire opinion of this set of episodes is going to be predicated on this one episode, mm. and it it really just knocks it out of the park. You know, it, it sets it up in the first episode and then just slams dunk slam dunks. Like this is everything that you wanted. You know. Yeah. And Lavar Burton doesn't get a lot in this episode. He deserves to be more than Data's sidekick, but. He's like, you may not be able to forgive yourself for what you're about to do is a great line. Because it's not even like he's desperately trying to save himself. Like, he's worried about how this will affect Data. Yeah. And you get that subtle hint that the neural net has, that the neural net's been rebooted and its ethical mm-hmm. program is working because now, you know, he's got some doubt and there's anomalous readings. Yeah. Which, you know, you, you kind of expect. And now he's going straight to Lore to confront him about shit. Sort of. He's still, like, trying to process all of this new stuff. Um, and I can only assume that Lore is flooding him with, like, some low-level pleasant feelings. Yeah. Um, it has to be. 
Yeah, and this feels like a keystone scene in the episode. I don't know. When I think about this episode, this is one of the scenes I think of. I don't know. I don't know about you. But. No, I agree. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm actually being sucked in by the episode. You know, like <laughs> watching this exchange between Brent Spiner and Brent Spiner. <laughs> you know, like he's yeah. he's a really great actor. You know, we talk a lot about how Picard is like a really exceptional actor. I mean, fucking Sir Patrick Stewart. But like Brent Spiner is just, he nails this. Like he's really good. He sucks you into this and you really believe that he's interacting with himself here. I, I bitch a lot about the overuse of Data and Picard, but, like, that happens because Spiner and Stewart are really good actors. Like, I don't want to, like, play that down at all. Um, and it's just like, you know, we see Data experiencing emotion for the first time, and he just can't handle it. Um, That's like a drug addict, man. Like, yes, yeah, I want yeah. more. Like, you could, like, oh, man, like. Ah, and Lord demanding that that thank you for manipulating him is just like, fuck this robot. He has surpassed every previous cell phone I've ever owned in terms of contemptible machinery. And yes, I'm dehumanizing Lord because he's mean. <laughs> he's not human to begin with, so you can do that freely. Boo. That's purely biological prejudice, sir. Lord deserves to be... Uh, what is disassembled that? no he yeah. deserves to be recognized for his um, unique life formness and then shot in the head <laughs> sorry should I say tried and then shot in the head fuck this dude I don't know about the trial after that shit man well luckily Sword Lord saves us the trouble indeed so. here we go here's Full the circle. actual callback to this episode yeah like it's just, like you said yeah like it's just back and forth like Oh. I don't know anyone who doesn't ship these two characters. Like, I get it. It doesn't have to be romantic, but at the same time, like, three scenes of interaction, I'm ready for these two to be best friends forever. Yeah, absolutely. Because Tate, because she's in, like, whoa, we're going to do what? And Barnaby's like, I'm a professional. I can do the math. And then we turn around, and she's like, I can I can do this thing because I did my thesis on it at the Academy. And Barnaby's like, what? But that could be dangerous. And he's like, I'm going to do the math right. Um, and it's full circle. And they're peers. And they come to, to respect each other. Um, and that kind of like, we don't know each other. We don't exactly trust each other. But we have to come to realize that. Uh, that's something that Deep Space Nine does really well. And you know, I appreciate when TNG tries to do it. And Here I we go face <laughs> magic. We call We're, this the Tate maneuver. She did a thesis. We're, we assume that there's some science behind this. So they shoot the yeah. sun. A solar flare happens. They break the surface tension of the sun. Sun shit comes out of it and it destroys the board ship, which is pretty badass. Um, and that 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 takes all the tension off the Enterprise. Oh, here we go. Yeah. And so Picard's trying to do uh, a, a tiny Picard speech, a micro Picard speech. And Dave is now coming for Picard. Because the deal is they're going to do the experiments on all three of them and just play the odds on one of them working out. 
which is uh, some Nazi science methodology, to be honest with you. But it is. So. Sorry, I'm like also watching this one go down because this is another one of those scenes. I mean, you, we just talked about like you've got fucking Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner opposite each other now. You know, those two great actors and man, like it's just it's a scene to unfold. They're both good. There's a moral conflict to play. I feel like we don't have like a big theme other than just like individuality versus like a cult, but it's good enough. It makes the episode go. Um, I think there are enough themes in there. How can actions that are wrong lead to the greater good? That's a fine question. And Data himself is trying to break out of the cult programming of Lore, where Lore is very blatantly emotionally manipulating him. He has a button. It just says literally has a button. emotions. Yeah, that's hilarious. But you know, science fiction can give us these kind of uh, these human conflicts stripped of you know familiar, perhaps even biasing uh, preconceptions, and a guy who can literally manipulate your emotions with the press of a button is 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 a reasonable science fiction thing. We're setting up the final pieces, elements here right now for the episode's finale of uh, Picard <laughs> and Worf are prepping to invade and go toe-to-toe with the help of Hugh. Right, and Worf like, we're going to fight all these Borg. And I'm like, you guys have a lot of machismo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I feel like that's not going to be enough. But I respect your chutzpah. And here we go, the ultimate bad guy move. I yeah. need you to prove yourself by killing your BFF or your captain. And Laura's like, God, the brothers of Soon together at last. Oh, no, wait, no. All right, we got to kill him. <laughs> it's so important to be with my brother. Ah, shoot that guy. Just, that's Laura. That's so Laura. Um, he's not even going to do it himself. He just portrays morality as the taint of the enemy. But now hey. we get a lore speech. Yeah, and there's Hugh hiding out in the background. Yeah, a little bit of foreshadowing. Oh, he is going to do it himself. My bad. I did watch this, but uh, we, we've had some production hangups, so it's been a minute. Like, and really, every pretense that Lore holds to is just that. Lore is just an evil dude. A being created with no internal morality or empathy. It's just who he is. Here we go. That sniper shot taken out a weapon, and then <laughs> one more shot, and then they become stormtroopers. Yeah, they're all kind of useless. But, you know, we get a melee. I mean, Borg are literally punching each other here. How is this not the high point for, like, the Borg story arc? How are we not like, damn, we've done it. We've reached peak cool thing with the Borg. Theta goes after Lore. The only thing that's missing is Worf being on his comm badge going, Captain Picard, we're on your left. And then, like, <laughs> it's a good yeah. climax. And here we go. We do have the, the one of the few scenes where we see Brent Spiner actually opposite Brent Spiner in an actual scene, a continuous scene. And it's done well. Like, 
You know, yeah. that dividing line is, is very well hidden in just scene placement. Yeah. And even now, Lore is like wheeling and dealing. He's like, come on, you can come with me. There's room for two of us on the escape pod. Isn't family important? I was going to murder you 15 seconds ago. <laughs> but I'll finally give you what belonged to you in the first place. Uh, and that'll be great. And he's just negotiating. He is just one of the shittiest people. He draws down on Data, but he's just slower. Data's used to the to the waves of abuse and emotion surges that freaking Lore gave him. You know, he's yeah. he's adapted to it because he's experienced it so much because Lore's been doing the crap out of it. Yeah. Here we go. The final scene with Lore in it. Yeah, after everything else, like, it's still sad. And Lore doesn't... Lore doesn't mean any of this. This is all just another game. Just another power play. He just happens to be right about it. We don't see Lore after this. Even in Star Trek Picard, when they pull out B4, who is another Sim-type android from Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, um... <laughs> Like, we don't bring up lore. Um, this is, to date, the end of lore. I didn't notice the pupil fade out. That was pretty fucking solid. Yeah. Oh my Some, god, that was good. Just subtle little bits. So, good guys win, bad guys die. And the Borg are, um, the Borg are freed. I feel like I, I feel like I missed an Iraqi war analogy here, but um, it was the right thing. I like this reunion scene between Hugh and Picard. Now, you know they're 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 getting to talk about some of the stuff that's happened. Yeah, he says we can't go back to the Borg Collective, and I think it's fair to interpret that as being the Borg Collective still out there, and they don't want to go back. I think it could also mean we can't go back to that style of living. But yeah, I mean, um, we could also see that that this is the thing the Borg Collective just cuts them off when it realizes what's going on. Is that is the thing the Borg would do? I mean, maybe. And the entire the entire theory is that that sense of individuality is something that's kind of checked at the gate. So once it bypasses that gate, there's no there's no catch on it. But I mean, I'll, look, look at this tiny chip. In Star Trek Generations, they make it ten times that big, and it's stupid, and I hate it. And I'm going to rag on that in Star Trek Generations. I fucking hate it. Anyway. Well, this is the thing, too, is, you know, like, this is Geordi he's dealing with it, and that's the whole thing, is that Noonie and Soong was supposed to be, like, an incredible engineer, you know, to even be able to integrate the positronic net that, you know, runs yeah. data. And mm -hmm. that's the thing, is that Geordi takes that chip, and, you know, in this, in this very scene, he takes that chip and says, you know, hey, in the future, so... He's the one who has to repair it. And we yeah. we know that, you know, he's not going to be up to that level, but he's an incredible engineer, so he's able to produce it, you know, to, to get it to work again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I absolutely love that Data's willing to absolutely obliterate this emotion chip because of what he did to Geordi. Yep. Again, I don't, I don't know that we ever established this friendship. Like, why do these two get along? But they do just get along, and they have adventures together. And it's one of the best friendships in Star Trek. 
<laughs> he pulls out a gun. Yeah. He's going to shoot it. He's got a pocket phaser right there, you know. Yeah. yeah. And George's like, okay, hold on, all right. And they're both... They both demonstrate in this scene how much they care for each other. They um, do. And I hate the emotion chip as an idea. I feel like Data can just progress and learn. I feel like Data's had his own emotions for a long time. But as a symbol, the emotion ship is really good. Especially in this yeah. episode. That's it. It's the wrap-up. Yeah. So, final thoughts, Descent, parts one and two. A really, really solid episode. You know, like, it's one of those things yeah. that's iconic to Trek to me. It, it does a really good job of conveying a story. And then, like we, like you and I both agreed... It calls back to a lot of the Star Trek that's happened before, yeah. setting the stage for a really solid finale to season seven. I feel like it, it pulls on that stuff in a good way without getting bogged down in continuity. I feel like it has a good story. I don't I don't know if we have a good idea at the center of this. I feel like it, it's a little unfocused on this thesis, but it's a good episode. It's, it deserves to be remembered better than it is. I do not disagree, sir. This yeah. is this is some prime track. It is. Uh, it's really good. Um, and da, da, da. I don't know what the next episode is. It's it's gonna be a season seven episode. It's gonna be rough as fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah, apparently it's called the uh, liaisons, and it starts uh, with Worf getting dressed into some ceremonial robes. I know that episode. I know that episode inside it out. <sighs> we will see. In two weeks, I don't know who my co-host is, but in two weeks, I will have a different co-host. We're going to watch the liaisons. And until then, uh, remember Rand. I'll make this short because everyone hates credits. Star Trek is property of CBS Television Studios. We are watching Star Trek The Next Generation on Netflix. We are talking over Discord, and we are recording and editing on Audacity, the free audio editor and recorder. The Beige and the Bold is hosted on Anchor and can be found on most podcasting platforms. I would also like to thank our senior officer Patreons for their support. They also make video editions of this podcast and remasters of old episodes possible. So thank you to Tracker by Moonlight and Miss Jess. If you have any questions or concerns about the show, please contact me at vanvelding at gmail.com or on Twitter at vanvelding. Thank you and remember Rand.